I don't know if you've uh, seen uh, this, this picture uh, on a Birmingham wall, uh, more is less, uh, less is uh, more or less. Um, I'm, it's, a, it's a phrase I quite like. Um, I think it's so definitive at the beginning and then it's so sort of iffy at the end. But uh, there we go. And we hear the declutter guru, gurus of our day uh, telling us how to um, sort our lives out, how to simplify our lives. Um, you may think that it makes great sense in your life or it may be one of those things you really, really struggle with, uh, uh, like perhaps uh, many of us. So here's a little test, a little fun test that I've put together um, to 10 questions. And uh, hopefully if you've got 10 fingers, you can count how many of these questions you answer yes with. Okay, and then we'll, we'll do a tot up um, at the end. And uh, so the first of those questions is, um, do you have clothes that no longer fit you? Okay, have you still got them uh, in your wardrobe? Uh, yes or no, so that's your first finger. Second question is, do you have stuff in your wardrobe that you bought years ago, but haven't worn since? Okay, that's the second one, yes or no. The third one is, do you have shoes that hurt your feet? Um, that's a painful picture, isn't it? Uh, fourth one, do you have a pin board that's got more uh, than one layer of papers on it? Okay. Um, do you have a desk piled high? Very common. Uh, do you have gadgets that you never use? Uh, do you keep things purely because they were a gift and uh, you can never throw them out? Uh, do you have problems finding things just when you want them, especially those precious things? <clears throat> Uh, do you have things in your kitchen or fridge that are past the use-by dates? <clears throat> These are the vegetables that have gone bad. And uh, last one, do you keep things in case one day they might be useful? Okay, so, okay, I, I score very highly on this, by the way, so I'm up in the nines at least, okay? So anybody up in the nines, tens kind of area? Can I, anyone going to confess to that? Yeah, anybody above five? Okay, quite good for anyone under five. Yeah, anyone get a zero? No one got a zero. We got one in Mosley last week who had a zero. Oh, we've got a zero. Yeah, that's fine. So, um, but I'm, I think I've just disqualified myself from giving a talk on simplicity just from that test alone. But uh, here we go. I love this card. You know, how is it uh, I detest every article of clothing I own, but when I go to throw something away, I develop this deep sentimental relationship with it. Um, however, I also want to balance our judgment of each other with Einstein's very deep question. If a cluttered desk is a sign of a cluttered mind, of what then is an empty desk a sign? So, uh, Albert, you have saved my bacon there, big time. Um, however, I also uh, take the challenge of this quote, don't own so much clutter that you will be relieved to see your house catch fire. Anyone uh, re resonate with that one? Or uh, perhaps with this motivation, less stuff means there's less to clean, less to organize, less to store. There's just less mess. That has to be a great motivation. Or if you want an even better one, make room for bigger dreams uh, in our lives. But in it all, um, we just need to remember um, this. I like this. As you focus on simplifying your life, make sure your approach to the process is a loving and accepting one. So um, this is not about being harsh upon ourselves. Um, it is about freedom. It's not about legalism. And so that's the ground rule as we look at this kind of whole topic uh, this morning. And I think simplicity at its very heart is about living freely and lightly. Um, it's about being true to ourselves and it's about being true uh, to others. Um, as we've sung this morning, as children of God who are loved, who are accepted, who are called and who are kept. Um, and the, the power of the truth of that. 
But we might also think of simplicity um, as opposed to duplicity. Um, this is some artwork by a guy called Matthew Burrell, I think is how you pronounce it. And duplicity is when we are deceitful. Duplicity, we talk about being two-faced, you know, one face in front of others and one face elsewhere. A double person, contradictory uh, perhaps. You know, we say one thing, but then we do another thing. And one aspect of simplicity is actually being free from duplicity. It is the opposite. It's about not being deceitful in our lives. It's what you see is what you get. It's integrity. What is on the outside of me is the same as what is on the inside. It's consistency. Um, I'm the same here as I am there. And uh, so there's an aspect of simplicity, which is that freedom from duplicity. And uh, much of the Sermon on the Mount is about this. Matthew 5, Jesus says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. It's very simple how you live, and yet the challenge um, can be there. You know, Matthew 6 talks about not living like the hypocrites, you know, who, who like to have this showy flamboyant outwardly, but actually there's no reality on the inside. And so simplicity we can think about as opposed to duplicity. And there will be some here today uh, who... You recognize in your own life there is an element of duplicity. There are things that you've, you've not shared. There are secrets in your life. There are hidden parts of your life that, that you've not shared with your friends or your spouse or those that are close to you um, uh, that perhaps need to be. Um, there may be behaviors in our lives. There may be things that we keep from our parents. There are many, many aspects uh, of our lives. And very often we can wreck our lives with that kind of thing. You know, we, we can, many of us may have been there in our lives and we realize we get a bit hot under the collar about some of these aspects uh, to life. But um, it stresses us and ultimately that kind of life will wreck our lives. And therefore it is about coming into simplicity. It is about confession. It is about talking to other people and beginning to be honest, true to ourselves and true to others so that we begin to move into steps of help. There's a line from a novel that goes, um, the simplicity and openness of their lives brought out for him the duplicity that lay at the bottom of ours. And so simplicity involves honesty and it involves openness. It involves not playing games in our relationships. Simplicity is not always easy, but it does bring freedom. And one of our core values as a church um, is quite crucial here in, that, in how we create safe environments for one another. So we talk about love, acceptance, and forgiveness um, as core values. You know, and those are the things that enable us to be honest with those that we need to be. Um, so Jerry Cook in his book about this, um, I just want to read a passage that we, we often read um, as people kind of connect with the church. And it's this passage here where Jerry says this. He says, love is commitment, okay? And it operates independently of what we feel or do not feel. We, we, we need to extend this love to everyone who comes into our church. I want you to know that I'm committed to you. You'll never knowingly suffer at my hands. I'll never say or do anything knowingly to hurt you. I will always, in every circumstance, seek to help you and support you. If you're down and I can lift you up, I'll do that. Anything I have that you need, I'll share with you. And if need be, I'll give it to you. No matter what I find out about you, and no matter what happens in the future, either good or bad, my commitment to you will never change, and there's nothing you can do about it. You don't have to respond, I love you, and that's what it means. And he says, a church that can make that commitment to every person is a church that's learning to love, and a church that will be a force for God. And uh, so in our friendships, you know, we need to extend that acceptance to one another. Um, in our families, uh, in our life groups, 
a place where people can be open, a place where people can be honest and people can step out of uh, duplicity perhaps into uh, honesty and simplicity uh, in our lives and set people free. I think another helpful differentiation when it comes to looking at simplicity is the difference between simplicity and what we call asceticism. So the ascetics were the people who were voluntarily made themselves poor. You know, they go and live in some monastic uh, outback somewhere and have absolutely nothing. So that's the kind of idea. But actually, poverty is not a good thing. Uh, poverty is one of the evils uh, of our world. And the Bible does not condone an extreme asceticism. The Bible clearly and consistently tells us that creation is good and to be enjoyed. So asceticism makes an unbiblical distinction or division between a good spiritual world and the evil material world. You know, anything of stuff is terrible for us. And so it finds its salvation in paying as little attention as possible to the physical realm and the material things. So asceticism and simplicity are incompatible with one another. They are totally different. They might appear to be superficially very similar at times, but actually they are very different. So, for example, asceticism renounces possessions, okay? whereas simplicity sets possessions in their proper place, their proper perspective. Asceticism will have no place for a land flowing with milk and honey, whereas simplicity will rejoice in this gracious provision of God's hand into our lives. Asceticism finds contentment only in doing without and in poverty, whereas simplicity knows contentment in both poverty and in riches. As uh, Paul put it in Philippians 4, he says, contentment in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And the key issue here is not uh, sh should we own anything, but does anything own us? And it's the power that has uh, upon our lives. Another aspect, oh no, I'll come to that. Another aspect of simplicity is actually the, the inward reality. It has to be something that is within us. It's not just the outward stuff that, that we do and uh, try to do. Um, if it's just outward and it's not something that comes from in our hearts, then it just becomes a deadly legalism in our lives, a whole list of do's and don'ts. And um, at times, probably, the, the outward practice is helpful because it exposes some of the lack of inner reality. So, you know, when you do try and throw those clothes out that you don't really need and you find this incredible emotional attachment coming to them, you find there's an issue here, okay? You know, when we try to give away and uh, we find out how sticky it is on our lives. And so it exposes that the lack of inner reality, perhaps, and the struggles uh, that we face. And that's when that discipline might be helpful. But uh, when we get the simplicity thing right, it freezes outwardly. You know, our speech becomes truthful and honest. Um, the lust for status and position disappears. Um, the, the, the kind of the, the showy extravagance that we might put on for others, we don't do because we can't afford it, but we don't do it on principle. Um, and our goods become available to others. And perhaps you might identify with this Arctic explorer who journaled, I am learning that a man can live profoundly without masses of things. I don't think he had it very much where he was. When researchers measure happiness um, around the world, they discover this, which is probably not unfamiliar to us, but that is often the people who are happiest in the world are those that don't necessarily have very much. 
Um, because what they've discovered is that happiness doesn't really depend on your circumstances or our actual condition, but how our circumstances compare to our expectations. And so people who are worse off materially often report being far happier than those who are way better off, but everyone around them seems to have more. And so our expectations are a little bit higher, and we don't quite have that, and therefore we have a lower kind of happiness level, if you like. And when you strip away all the inessential elements of our lives, and we start to focus on what really matters, then it's a lot easier to feel contentment. And I love that picture, because it just kind of captures something of not a lot in the background, and yet just the simple things of life that bring joy and what it's really all about. Now, there are probably three kind of key parts to our lives. There's the things that we have, there's the things that we need, and the things that we want. And there are two very simple questions that we can ask ourselves or we can reflect on in our own lives. The first question is between the first two is that, do we have what we need? And the answer to that may be yes, maybe no. There's no right or wrongs. Do we have what we need is the first question. And uh, the second question is, do we need what we want? And again, we can have yes or no to those things. They're not, there's not right or wrong on those answers. But they're very good questions to start to ask and to reflect on because they can apply to anything. They can apply to anything in a physical, you know, have I got food on my plate? Have I got shelter, a roof over my head? Have I got clothes on my back? Or it can be relational, you know, have I got friends? Have I got romance? Have I got community? Um, or even to the virtual world, you know, the email or to um, social media or digital entertainment. You know, do I, do I have what I need? Do I need what I want? Because what happens is that we then begin to define the answers to those questions. We begin to define the expectations we have rather than those around us. And therefore, that will affect our happiness. And the added benefit is we focus on the things that really matter and also on uh, the people that matter most. Uh, Richard Foster writes this. He says, because many in our world and culture lack that divine center, our need for security has led us into an insane attachment to things. Society today has a lust for affluence that is described as psychotic in the sense that it is lost touch with reality. Many crave things that neither need, they neither need nor enjoy, and many buy things they don't really want to impress people they don't really like. Um, there was a, a best-selling book uh, by uh, Oliver James called Affluenza, and um, he toured the minds of the middle classes um, to look at this kind of disease, if you like, that is around in the West. And he researched the current epidemic of affluenza throughout the known world. This obsessive, envious, keeping up with the Joneses that has resulted in a huge increase in depression and anxiety amongst millions of people uh, in our world. And this has just gone exponential. Um, Richard Foster says this, he says, we're made to feel ashamed to wear clothes or shoes or even drive cars until they're worn out. You know, you've got to have a new one. You can't take it till it, till it falls apart. The media has so convinced us that, that to be out of step with fashion is to be out of step with reality. Now, I don't think that decries creativity and color and style and design and all of those, those wonderful things. But until we see how unbalanced our culture has become, then we don't really deal with the, the materialistic spirit that is at work in our hearts and in ourselves. So for example, our culture will always celebrate the rags to riches story, won't it? That's, that's the story. Rags to riches is seen as a great story. There aren't many riches to rags stories. 
The richest Tarag stories are, well, they got their just desserts, or it's seen as a tragedy. Um, it was really fascinating. And for those of you that knew Alistair Barr, who we was at the funeral on Friday, actually his story is the other way around. He was a top guy, top engineer in Bermuda. He was a top guy in the civic culture of uh, Hong Kong. And then he, he got involved with Jackie Pullinger's ministry. And then he came back to Birmingham, couldn't get a job. Because he couldn't get a job, he volunteered at Riverside for the last 20, 30 years of his life. Okay, completely tribute after tribute of how that guy served. Uh, phenomenal story. But that's the culture, and that is very much against the culture uh, of our day. So let's be those who determine our own expectations in life rather than others, because that will determine much of our happiness. I want to now just have a, a quick look at priorities, because I think priorities are the things that matter most. And uh, a key aspect of simplicity is to somehow clarify what our priorities are uh, in our lives. So here's, um, here's what Paul writes about them. He says in uh, Ephesians 5.15, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And so Paul's advice, first of all, is, is be careful. Look at how you live. Analyze your lifestyle and bring wisdom to bear on how you live in verse 15. He talks about using the present. Make the most of every opportunity. Um, and uh, in verse 16. And he says, prioritize. You know, don't be foolish, but understand what God's will is. Understand what his priorities are for our lives. So um, he then goes on and he says to Timothy um, in uh, 2 Timothy 4, he says, right, Timothy, here are your priorities. And these priorities for Timothy were preach the word in season and out of season. And they were uh, do the work for him as an evangelist and do all the duties that he was supposed to do. And run the race, um, he says in verse 6 to 8. Keep going despite hardship. And so he just gives him three simple priorities that helps Timothy stay focused to know what to say yes to, to know what to say no to, to keep things simple so he accepts the hardship he's going to go through and still enjoy running the race uh, of life and of faith. So the question for each of us is how can we simplify? How can we clarify our own priorities? And I actually think this is very different for every single person. Okay, we're, we're all individuals. We're all different personalities. We'll all find different ways of doing that. And that is fantastic. So I'm just going to give you a few examples to see if any of these are helpful um, for you. The first is the rule of life idea. So this is Northumbria community. Um, and uh, their kind of rule of life or their way for living has two simple words. Availability and vulnerability. And the availability is to be available to God, that secret part of their, their heart, the cell of their heart, available to God, but also available to others in, in hospitality. And uh, they, that's their call upon their lives. And then the second is this call to intentional and deliberate vulnerability. And that means they'll be teachable. They will make themselves, put themselves in accountability groups. They will, they will let the scriptures speak into their lives. But also vulnerability in the sense that they'll speak out against injustice. You know, even though that will make them vulnerable. They might get, you know, an onslaught of verbal abuse for that. That vulnerability before an unbelieving world. They will live their lives there. And we all know that when we make ourselves vulnerable in inviting someone, even to a carol service. We know there's a vulnerability in that. But if that's something that we will live by, then actually we'll step into that vulnerability, whether they say yes or no, whatever their reaction might be. But there's a simple way that, that uh, two radical priorities 
that simplify living and bring focus to life. And you can come up with anything you like, but that's just an example. Another example from my own life. So this is just more of a pictorial thing, and I just kind of use kind of boxes or kind of circles within circles, boxes within boxes. And the first priority is always, well, what's my relationship with God? So what's, what's my character? What do I need to sustain life and faith and, uh, and replenishment and sustainability in, in my life with God? You know, that's, that's priority one. I can work on, on what that looks like. And then this home and family, you know, what kind of husband do I want to be? What kind of dad do I want to be? What kind of brother do I want to be in a wider sense? Or a son, if your parents are around? And, uh, and what does that look like? And, and making those a priority. Um, then wider than that, our, our work. And uh, for me, that's obviously church is very much involved in that as well. And, you know, what gifts do I bring to that? What strengths do I bring to that? And what, what does that look like? Um, and uh, begin to understand that priority. And then that, that sense of call to Birmingham and to the world. Um, to make a difference in, in whatever ways. And these are more specific to myself, but the sort of things of different kind of areas of influence. But it's always the, the priorities works from the inside to the outside. And, uh, and if something's going all, it's all time over there and you neglect the other, then that is, that is not helpful. And that's when your priorities are the wrong way around. So I've found that quite helpful. A final example I want to give you. One word. I came across this a few years ago. We took the staff through it as a little exercise. Uh, many of it found it very helpful. And uh, simply one word that will change your life for a year, okay? The power of one word. And the idea is just a very simple discipline of developing one word for your year ahead, okay? Okay, one word. Not a phrase, not a statement, a single word. And it can be incredibly life-changing, um, when you discover that, that word for you in that year, it then gives you a whole lot of clarity on, on things. It, it gives you a renewed passion. It gives you some purpose in life. It brings a simplicity and a focus. It can stretch you spiritually. It can stretch you financially. It can stretch you physically. It can stretch you mentally, emotionally, relationally. Um, just one simple word. God will use it as a light to, to show you a path to walk through the year. He'll use it as a mirror to reflect some of the attitudes in our lives that might need to change. Um, and it can be anything. It can be a discipline. The one word could be simplify. Okay? And that's how you look on the next 12 months of your life. Um, uh, or to reflect or pray, one of those words. It could be a fruit of the Spirit, perhaps, you know, like love or patience or kindness. Um, or it can be just a character trait or an attribute of God, provider. I don't know what it might be um, that it would be for you. Jesus said this to the rich young ruler. He said, you still lack one thing. Um, David in Psalm 27 said, one thing I will ask of the Lord. Paul in Philippians 3, one thing I do, and I press on into. Um, so if that's something you want to try, then there are just three simple steps that you can do to kind of help you with that. The first is to look in, just to take some time out and look at what, what's God saying into your heart. Ask God to speak into your heart. What's he done in your life in the last year? What is he doing? And uh, just begin to pray uh, about that and let God examine uh, our hearts. The second, sorry, is to look up. You know, to ask God, take some time, say, what, what, what is it you're saying to me now? What, what word would you give to me? And really distill it down to one word. You know, it may be a picture, maybe an image that comes to you, but just capture it in one word. And then thirdly, live it out. Look, up, look out with it. Live it. 
Okay, write it down. Keep yourself to it. Tell someone about it. You know, so there's some accountability to it. And then start trying to see how it impacts every area uh, of your life. Keep focusing on it. Keep it fresh. Um, and uh, some examples. So I've just picked these at random. Okay, endurance. You know, if that was your words, you very quickly see how that will change your approach to a whole lot of different situations. It will affect your time, perhaps. It will affect your prayers. It might affect your your physical training regime. Um, it'll affect your studies if you study. It'll affect your relationships. Uh, another word, like encourage, you can very quickly see how that will affect your relationships. It'll affect your speech. It will affect your workplace. It will affect your family. It will affect your use of social media posts. You know, it affects all sorts of things and yet can bring a real focus to our lives. So it can be very, very helpful because it's energizing. It can be God-inspired and simplifies your life. And if you want to, to, to work through that, um, you can download a PDF from the Riverside Church website. Go down to the footer, and it says Life Group Resources. Click on that, and then there's a bit that says, um, I think it says Activities. Drop down, and one word uh, is in there if you want to, to look at that um, yourself or as a group or whatever. So different practical ways to prioritize and hopefully simplify. And as I say, these these are just ideas. There's no right and wrongs, just ideas. But the first one is just to simply go and pray and scribble down what your three priorities are. What are your priorities in your life? Do you know what they are? Or develop a rule of life, like the available vulnerable thing. Or prioritize with some circles or squares of, of what does your life look like and what are the priorities for them, that widening sphere of influence. Or use the one word discipline, um, which I mentioned. We looked at contentment and happiness in life. You know, the, the haves, the needs, the wants. Do I have what I need? Do I need what I want? And simplicity knows contentment in all situations. And also simplicity defined as freedom from duplicity. It is all about freedom so that we can live life well. Let's, let's pray together. Father, I want to thank you for these, these wonderful words of Jesus where he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light.